This audio teaching is provided by Segula.net. You are listening to Session 17, Letter versus Spirit, Part A, from the series Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. This session was recorded live at Beit Sur Fellowship. So today we're in Session 17, Letter versus Spirit. The last session we were looking at... Um, the passages in the Bible that talk about this struggle between flesh and spirit. Uh, Today, I want to turn and talk about a related topic in Paul's letters, and that's where he contrasts the letter with the spirit. Um, And we want to talk about how that's shaped the way evangelical Christians today think of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is something that stands in opposition to this thing called the letter. Well, what exactly is the letter? Um, We'll talk about that. Uh, So yeah, this is continuing uh, some of the themes from last session, uh, because the contrast between letter and spirit, as I hope we'll see, is closely related to the contrast between flesh and spirit. And then uh, at the end of this session, we'll try to tie together some of the loose threads from both uh, these two sessions and uh, talk about what it means to follow the spirit rather than the letter or the flesh. Okay, so there are uh, three specific passages where Paul presents this as a contrast. So let's start by reading those. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 29. We might... Um, Let's back up a little bit for context. Let's start in verse 25, Romans 2.25. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the Torah. But if you break the Torah, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the Torah, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the Torah, will condemn you who have the letter and circumcision, but break the Torah. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Does anyone in their translation have a different word for letter? We encounter that word two times. In verse 27, he will condemn you who has you, you who have the letter and circumcision. Of the law. Letter of the law. Right. Written code. Right. So we've got letter of the law, we've got written code. Yeah. All right, so what does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that. Let's look at the next passage, Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Last time when we were looking at flesh versus spirit, we were also looking at Romans chapter 7, but later in the chapter. 
Let's back up to verse 4 for some context. Romans 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, to the Torah, through the body of Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the Torah were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the Torah, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the letter. Anyone have a different translation instead of letter for that verse? The new way of the spirit, not the old way of the letter. The code, not the old way of the code, or written code, I think some translations say. Written code, yeah. So, just a, a quick pause for a second. What is what does it sound like when you translate it as written code? What would what would most people reading this assume that's referring to? The law, right? The Torah. You you read written code and you think, oh, that must be talking about the Torah. So is the word letter, is that talking about the Torah? Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, let's look at the next passage first. <laughs> this is the other place where Paul contrasts these two terms, letter and spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.6. We're in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, let's... Why don't we back up to verse 1. Uh, yeah, that way we'll get some context. So Paul starts, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Messiah, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Notice some of the contrast there, contrasting um, a letter written with ink versus a letter written with the spirit of God. A letter written, words written on stone tablets versus words written on human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Messiah toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right. <coughs> so in these passages... The letter is clearly bad, right? You kind of get that vibe from Paul. That You know, the letter kills, that doesn't sound nice. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> um, and of course, many believers assume that in these verses, Paul's talking about the Torah. That the Torah kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that there's a dichotomy between the two. You can either follow the way of the Spirit, or you can follow the way of Torah. Um, and the latter is going to be bad. Of course, uh, we know that's not what Paul's saying, right? 
I'd like to suggest that Paul is not pitting the Torah against the Spirit, but that letter and Spirit represent two different ways of approaching the Torah. It's the same Torah in both cases, but the way uh, the relationship to that Torah changes. Uh, notice how Paul's quoting from Jeremiah 31, or alluding to Jeremiah 31, especially in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, we'll talk more about that in the last half of this session, which we won't get to today. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for another day. I don't want to spend all my time giving a defense of Torah because I think we're past that. Uh, but I do want to zero in on what exactly does Paul mean here. If Paul's not talking about Torah, per se, um, when he says letter, what does he mean? What does he mean by the letter, and why is it at odds with the spirit? And how do we make sure we're walking in one and not in the other? So, um, there are two related aspects that I want to focus on for today uh, in which this terminology continues to sometimes haunt us, even in the Messianic movement. Um, so this will be kind of an outline of this session. First I want to look at the term legalism. Legalism versus the spirit. This is one way of wrapping our minds around what Paul is talking about here. When he talks about the letter versus the spirit, well, maybe this is a way of describing legalism versus the spirit. But how do we define legalism? We'll talk about that in a second. Another interrelated thing to that is the idea of your intellect, intellectual capacities being at odds with the spirit. So we'll talk about legalism versus the spirit. Then we'll talk about intellect versus the spirit. Uh, are these something that Paul is pitting against each other. So that's as far as we'll get today. Uh, next time, we'll continue the topic by talking about Old Covenant versus New Covenant, because that's something that came up very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It seems as though Paul is equating the letter with the Old Covenant. At least that's the sense you kind of get, right? We'll unpack that more next time. And then we'll finally uh, end the session by looking at the upshot of all these things and how it helps us understand what it means to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh and not in the letter, I guess. All right. <clears throat> Let's talk about legalism. Uh, I need your guys' help. What is legalism. So I want us to just take some time and brainstorm what, what are the different meanings that people attach to this word legalism. We're not necessarily, we're not trying to find yet which is the right definition for legalism. Right now I just want us to think, you know, you hear someone use the word legalism. What are, what are some of the different things that people mean by that? And uh, our magic whiteboard here uh, will have some words generously filled in by Luke at the back as we come up with ideas. Uh, so yeah, any, any thoughts? What, how would you define legalism? Or how might someone out on the street 
or in your average church define legalism? Attaining salvation through works. Good. Let's write, write that down. Attaining salvation through works. There is a nice working definition of legalism. All right. Any other definitions? How, what's, what's the 20th century definition? 20th century definition, following rules. Following rules. Let's write that down. Following rules. So, so you're a rule follower. You're legalistic. I guess instead of following rules, we should live by the Spirit, right? <laughs> there we go. Don't follow rules, just live by the Spirit. Um, yes? Yeah, it is. It, it does seem strange in light of, just to reiterate, being a good citizen, meaning following the rules, although it is scary how that has changed as well in society today. Um, being a law-abiding citizen is no longer what it means to be a good citizen these days, right? Some of the anti-police sentiments and the idea that forced obedience is wrong and the idea that like, there's just so many things wrapped up in it. Parenting, you know, these days the trend is you don't give rules for your kids because that's, that's legalism. I don't, I don't, they don't use those terms, but... <laughs> Right? I wonder how much some of the ideas in some Christian churches toward Torah are influenced by society and vice versa. How much of these trends that we see in society today are the result of centuries of Christian teaching that law is bad? Right? So, yeah. So that's a, that's a good one. Following rules. Any others? Wow. Yeah, that's how Wikipedia defines it. So how would we distill that down to just a couple words? <laughs> that's a great definition. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, Luke, you, you want to type all that out? No. <laughs> um, well, it's, it sounded like there is, there is a couple things packed into that definition. One was what we already have, attaining salvation through works. That was in that definition. Another one was... Um, Attempting to distill the de general principles of scripture down to specific rules. Is that kind of what I was saying? Yeah. Uh, how, would we, how would we sum that up in less words? Yeah, something about uh, rules aside from general moral principles. Nomism, yeah. Um, so... That's from the Greek word nomos, which means law. So it's lawism, legalism, I guess. Same thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, in, in theological circles, uh, nomism is usually understood as a sense of obligation toward law, right? No, because those are general moral principles. <laughs> so Yeshua gives us general moral principles, the law gives us rules, and we're supposed to follow general moral principles rather than rules. Um, yeah, no, those, are, those are good. Thanks, Luke. Uh, Luke, you had one, right? Hmm, like, uh, like um, 
yeah, being too strict in, fall, in obeying. Maybe uh, uh, an OCD approach to obeying God. So, yeah, being, having, t uh, making your uh, list of, con your code of conduct too specific to a set of standards instead of leaving it open to different. Right. As long as you avoid a certain um, set of obvious things that would be bad for society, the rest is all subjective. Right. So, so we want to have just principles rather than rules. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Subject to varying interpretations, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what have we got so far? Attaining salvation through works, following rules strictly (OCD), <laughs> distilling scripture into general rules, um, other rules aside from repentance and salvation, or legalism. Rules over general moral principles, specific standard set of rules over principles. How about, uh, so we have attaining salvation through works. Here's another kind of twist on that that I've heard some people define as legalism, is the idea that you can maintain right standing with God by following rules. So, so someone might say, oh yeah, you're saved by grace. You don't earn it. But after you're saved, you gotta follow rules uh, in order to maintain God's favor towards you. Uh, people might define that as moralism, the idea that you do good, good will happen to you. You do bad, bad will happen to you. Prosperity gospel is a good example of moralism uh, taken to a certain extreme. Um, in my opinion, the book of Job kind of throws a wrench in that way of thinking. But that, that's, that's one way of putting it. Um, Gaining God's, uh, maintaining God's favor by works, I guess. So ritual conversion to Judaism? Or to be a Jew? Right, yeah. So ritual conversion as a means of salvation that involves extra biblical rules. Um, and you touched on something there. Here's another definition of legalism. Uh, following extra-biblical rules, but putting them on par with the Bible. How's that? Legalism is following, um, following rules that are not in Scripture as though they were from God, putting extra-biblical standards on par with the Bible. That's one. How about... Um, Rote routine or ritualism. So doing the same religious things over and over again without any meaning. That could, you know, I could see a lot of people calling that legalism, right? You just keep doing that over and over again. It doesn't have any meaning for you. That's legalism. Yeah. How about 
trying to obey God without the help of the Holy Spirit. That could be a definition of legalism. How about excessive focus on legal minutia? Maybe this is kind of like that OCD one, right? Where you're you're like super focused about tithing mint and dill and cumin. Perfect example. <laughs> is that legalism? I mean, that could be another valid definition as, as it's used by many people out there. All right. I think we've covered a lot of our bases here for all the possible ways that you could use the term legalism. Um, unless anyone notices any glaring omissions. So, yeah. Now, oh, a glaring omission. What is it? Legalism defined as the belief that you have to be born as a Jew in order to be saved. Have you ever heard anyone use it that way? In, uh, in Acts 15, there might be people, well, do they use the term legalism there? Anyway, that could be part of this, that could be part of what's brewing in Paul's mind. So, um, yeah, that could certainly be part of it. Here's the thing. There, I'm going to suggest there is, there's a legitimate category of legalism that is bad. That is legitimately bad. That's something that we as believers need to avoid. Uh, no one self-describes themselves as legalistic. No one's like, you know, I'm legalistic and I know it. And I'm proud of it, right? Uh, so le legalism is something you accuse other people of being. Everyone can see how everyone else is so legalistic, but they're not. Legalism is something that we as believers don't want to be. We, we don't want to be legalistic, right? That's, it's something we want to avoid. But will the real legalism please stand up? <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes struggle with this. Where do you draw the line between legalism and passionate personal conviction? Right? It, you, you have a, a really high personal standard, it's meaningful to you, it's, uh, um, it's something that you feel personally convicted about what, on whatever topic it may be. Let's, let's say, for example, you feel convicted to never listen to secular music, you know, except if you can't help it, you're in a store or a situation like that, but you, you never put on secular music. You have this personal standard it's a strong conviction for you. You feel passionate about it. But someone else comes along and says, hey, hey, that's legalistic. You see how, and, and, or maybe, let's flip this around. Someone grows up in a home where they're, okay, so what kind of music you listen to, there's no specific commandment in the Torah about that, right? Like, there are, there are guidelines that scripture gives about you know, focusing on things that are true and good and edifying and things like that. But uh, it's, it's not a black and white, well, this verse in the Torah says, don't listen to Taylor Swift, right? You know, it's, 
it's a little more complicated than that. Um, so in a sense, you could state it that it, it's an extra biblical standard that I hold to. It's not explicitly mentioned in scripture, but it's a standard that I hold to that is meaningful for me and that I believe has biblical basis, even if it's not explicit in scripture. Okay, how about other standards that are a little less black on the gray spectrum than that. Um, my wife knows a family that for the kids growing up, uh, they weren't allowed to wear the color black. They weren't allowed to wear any black clothing because that's a symbol of evil. Um, you know, as just one example of a rule, right? So, so they have that personal conviction, but what happens if the kids grow up and resent it? They feel like this is an oppressive rule. It's not meaningful for me. Is that legalism? Is that, is, is that healthy? It's another way of asking the question, right? Where do you draw the line between, you, you know, it seems like one man's discipline and conviction is another man's legalism. How do we sort through this? Right? You look at rabbinic literature or ultra-Orthodox Jewish practice, and you wonder, do these guys have OCD? Right? Have you ever thought that? You look at, like, you know, obsessively, compulsively uh, trying to come up with the most detailed minutia of how this might apply in this situation, that situation, and, you know... Okay, here, here's one example, just one random example from the realm of standard modern Jewish halakha, always put on your right shoe before your left shoe. That's not, you know, it's, it's a, an ultra-Orthodox religious Jew would do that. They always put on their right shoe first and then their left shoe. So what do you think of that? Mo most Christians would look at that and say, how legalistic, what bondage right most messianics would look at that and say where is that at in the bible it doesn't say in the bible what shoe to put on first why would you make up a rule like that whereas for jews who observe this it's a way of taking a mundane act and imbuing it with religious significance right i could put on my shoes any which way i like and it, would, it wouldn't mean anything. Or I can make it part of my halakha, part of my standards of observance, a structured part of my practice to always put on my right shoe first um, so that suddenly this mundane act, act becomes an act of submission and service to Hashem. That's kind of their reasoning behind it. One man's legalism is another man's observance. Now, I'm not, by the way, I'm not suggesting we adopt this practice. <laughs> I do not consistently put on my right shoe. But, but I mean, think about it. You could imagine someone with, someone with OCD doing that, just as a compulsive thing that they do, right? Without any, or they might attach religious significance, or they might not. So, yeah, like this, this is the sort of thing where, where do you, where do you draw the line? 
I remember once reading this article that was being circulated um, among different uh, Christians in like the Christian house church movement about tithing. You know, tithing is that one thing that that churches tend to want to hold on to from the Torah <laughs> when it seems like what business do you have holding on to that when you reject the rest of the Torah, right? So this article was actually taking a more honest approach to it and saying, hey, the Torah has been abolished. Why are you guys doing this tithing thing? And it was trying to argue that if you give 10% of your income to God, that's legalism. You can give 9%, you can give 11%, that's totally fine. But if you give 10%, that is legalism. Because you're trying to be um, specific about it, you're trying to have it so that it's always the same, and, uh, and that's not serving God from your heart. That's what this article was claiming. Here's another example. I remember there's a, a friend of Daria and myself that uh, was, they wrote, I think it was in their blog or something like that. I forget exactly where we saw this. But they wrote about how they had uh, adopted the practice of praying at a certain time in the morning every day. And they, they, they had to defend themselves uh, by saying, um, you know, I know this might sound legalistic to some people to do it this way, but I, I find it meaningful. And they're trying to, trying to like, avoid the accusation of legalism um, with, you know, assuming that a lot of people would look at that and say, that's legalistic. So, so you, you're strict about having a set time each day that you get up in the morning to pray. That's legalism. Really? Right? <laughs> what do you do with that? Okay, here's another example. I remember early in our days where we were just starting to keep Torah and, um, you know, we were starting to learn all the multitude of things that had pork in them, like marshmallows, gelatin. That was a, a, a bummer. And I remember there is, uh, uh, I forget the precise context, but there is a dish that had been uh, like a Rice Krispie squares or something that had been made with non-kosher marshmallows and that had gelatin in them. And uh, this one individual said, oh, I don't have a problem eating this. I'm not legalistic. What, what does that mean there? So I'm, I, I'm okay if there's trace amounts of pork in that because I'm not legalistic about the way I keep kosher. The implication is if you try and do it too strictly, you're, you, know, you try and strain out that gnat, that's legalism. By the way, that, that verse where Yeshua says, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. What do a gnat and a camel have in common? They're both not kosher, right? That's the point that Yeshua is trying to make. So did Yeshua say it's wrong to strain out a gnat? She say, you hypocrites, why don't you eat those gnats? No, that's not what Yeshua said. His point was that you're focused on minutiae to the point that you miss these blatant, flagrant errors in your walk with God, right? It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of 
priorities and orientation. You know, we need to major on the majors, minor on the minors. That doesn't mean we ignore the minors and say they don't matter. It means, you know, yeah, there's priorities, right? Okay. Here's a question. Were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego legalistic for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image? Was that legalism? Yeah, I mean, this, this makes you think about how you define legalism, right? Because I, I'm pretty sure all Bible-believing believers would say, well, no, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't legalistic. What they did was righteous. It was a good thing that they did, and God honored them for it, right? But think about it. If we define legalism as being too strict in our observance, why couldn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just let that one slip? God, God's grace will cover it, right? I remember reading, when I was a teenager, I read Keith Green's biography. Uh, anyone know the title? No Compromise is the title of this book. Um, and it talked about, uh, it was based on one of Keith Green's songs um, where it has that phrase in it. Um, Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. And one of his albums, I forget which album it was, actually had this picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing. Everyone else around them has their face to the ground. And, and these three guys, these three Hebrews, are sticking out like a sore thumb, the only ones who refuse to compromise. I remember being really inspired by that book and by some of these songs. But here's the question, where is the boundary line between no compromise and legalism? How do we distinguish those two? Those two? Sorry, what? Depends which side you're on. So if you're one of the, if, if you're an Israelite that felt peer pressure to bow down in that moment, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and you say, those legalistic guys. Right, yeah. How is, how is obeying God legalism? So, there's this common idea that to follow rules is legalism, but to follow vague inner promptings is being led by the Holy Spirit. Of course, the problem with that is what happens when you're in a situation where you, you just, you honestly don't feel like doing the right thing. You honestly don't feel like obeying God. Should we obey anyway? I, I think yes, we should obey, right? So, yeah. I want to talk about another phrase, the letter of the law. So this came up, one of the translations had, instead of just the word letter, it added the words of the law. So those words aren't in the Greek of Romans 2. But um, this is another phrase that's commonly thrown out there. We've got the, you've got the letter of the law or the spirit of the law. 
we should follow the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. That's kind of the way it's often phrased, right? So, example, stop sign. <laughs> yeah, nice uh, uh, idea to use a stop sign as an example. By the way, did you hear about the guy who, uh, um, he didn't stop at the stop sign, he just kind of slowed down a little and the cop pulled him over and starts beating him over the head. It says, you want me to stop or just slow down? <laughs> so, okay, so think of, you know, in, in our society today, imagine that some, there's, there's a person who is very scrupulous about stopping at their stop signs. They come to a full and complete stop, even if it's icy, the vehicle is no longer moving at the stop sign, and then they go on and run over a jaywalker. So we might say that person is following the letter of the law, but they're not following the spirit of the law, right? Versus someone who doesn't completely stop at the stop sign, but then they stop for a jaywalker. Well, that person they're not following the letter of the law, but they're following the spirit of the law. Which of those two people is a better person in our society? The second one, the one who follows the spirit of the law, right? You know, they may not be following what, doing exactly what the, the Canadian law says, the traffic laws. You're not supposed to stop for a jaywalker. You are supposed to come to a complete stop at a stop sign. <laughs> But, uh, but they're a better person. That's a better person because they, they're following the spirit of the law, right? Even if they're breaking the law a little bit. Okay, how do we define letter of the law? Webster's definition, I think this is a recent one. Letter of the law is strict outward observance or strict outward sense or significance Spirit of the law is general intent or real meaning. Is this what scripture means when it's talking about letter and spirit? Note that the phrase letter of the law is never found in scripture. Uh, we, don't, we don't see that term in the scripture, except in one. It, yeah, it's, it's added to, in, in some English translations, it's added in, but it's not found in like the Greek text or anything like that. Um, but I do think we see this sort of thing, this sort of concept in Yeshua's Sermon on the Mount. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you have your Bible. Let's talk about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. It doesn't use these phrases in in the original. So Matthew Matthew. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't talk about the letter or the spirit or anything like that, but I think there's some concepts here that relate to what we're talking about. Uh, verse 21, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And he goes on. How about verse 27? You've heard it said, 
you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, verse 31. Uh, well, let's go to uh, 38. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. Verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He goes on. So, in a sense, what Yeshua is doing here is contrasting the letter of the law with the spirit of the law. But note how that works in this case. Does the Torah say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? No. It says, love your neighbor, right? So, so you know, someone could claim to be following the letter of the law when it comes to loving your neighbor, but they hate their enemy. What does Yeshua say? That's not good enough. So, Yeshua contrasts the hyper-literal misuse of the Torah with the true intent of the Torah. Taking these words hyper-literally, love your neighbor, oh, therefore I can go hate my enemy. No, that's a misuse of Torah, Yeshua says. So Yeshua gives us what's the true intent of Torah. And there are commandments about helping your enemy when his ox is in the ditch sort of thing, right? This is the true intent of Torah, to love your enemies as well. Notice, following the spirit of the Torah doesn't mean a less strict interpretation. It doesn't mean it's okay to fudge on the details, which is harder to do. Following the true intent of the Torah is a lot harder. The, the standard Yeshua presents us is higher, it's stricter than the bare minimum hyper-literal misuse interpretation, right? Take, let's take the commandment, for example, to put a parapet on your roof, a fence around your roof, right? So you want to follow the letter of the law, you could say, okay, well, I, I put my little fence around my roof. It's only an inch high, but doesn't say how high it has to be. And that's it. And uh, you have a swimming pool in your backyard and a dog drowns in it. And you're like, it's not my fault. Well, what's the spirit of the law? Spirit of the law is, you know, you need to take necessary steps to protect people from getting hurt on your own property, right? You need to put a fence around your swimming pool too. <laughs> Even though the Torah doesn't say that explicitly, that's, that's the true intent of what it's getting at, right? Doesn't nullify the literal understanding. Torah and spirit go hand in hand, right? Ezekiel 36, verse 27. I'm sure we're all familiar with this verse. God promises... Um, 
Verse 24, I will take you from the nations, Ezekiel 36, 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Sounds like Paul is alluding to this as well in that passage we read in 2 Corinthians, eh? And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to have vague inner promptings and not have to follow rules anymore. Is that what it says? No, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Is carefully following God's rules legalism? According to this verse, no. According to this verse, that's walking by the Spirit. Carefully following God's rules, right? I, I, I don't think we should be afraid to carefully follow Torah. I don't think we should be afraid that that's being legalistic, to be careful in how we obey God. Another passage is... Uh, is uh, Isaiah. We'll look a little more at this verse next time, but in Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And it goes on. So this is commonly referred to as the sevenfold um, spirit of God, the, the seven attributes of the spirit of God or, or different things. We've looked at this passage before in this series. But what I want to highlight here just in this context is this, notice each of the adjectives that are accompanied, uh, each, each of the qualities that describe the Holy Spirit in this case. It's the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of fear of the Lord. You know, all of those, uh, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. We could look at other passages, but each of these are synonyms of Torah. We see this come up in other passages of Scripture. So this, the Holy Spirit is not an antithesis to Torah by any stretch of the imagination. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. He imparts holiness to us and empowers us to walk in holiness. Right? Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, 1 Peter. Be holy as I am holy, God says. Sanctification or becoming holy is what the spirit accomplishes in us. It's the process of growing in obedience and becoming more like Yeshua. The Holy Spirit hasn't been given to excuse us from obeying God. He's been given to reprogram us to follow God's commandments. And that's what Romans 7 and 8 are all about, right? 
flesh versus spirit, letter versus spirit. It's all about God's spirit coming in and reprogramming us so that we can walk in God's ways, that we can obey him. Okay. Um, We'll wrap it up here in just a second, but let's try and unravel some of these things that we've talked about. Going back to legalism. You know, one thing I think we missed, and this, this, is, the, this is the glaring omission from our list here, following rules out of fear rather than out of love for God. How's that for a definition of legalism? There, there is a, a very real and pernicious legalism that affects a lot of believers in a negative way. And tragically, it affects their love for God, their ability to serve him in joy, and their ability to thrive in Yeshua. When we serve God out of fear of punishment, out of fear that God's standing there with a stick just waiting to whack us the moment we make a mistake. If we have this view of God as this abusive, manipulative father figure who's absent until you mess up, that's going to affect us spiritually. That's going to hinder us from being who God made us to be. And it's a lie. That's not what God is like, right? We need to experience his love. We need to experience his grace to us. Yeah, we're called to be careful in our obedience. But, you know, that comes as a response to the amazing love and grace that God has bestowed on us. I mean, how could we not want to be careful to obey him? How could we not want to do what pleases him when we see how much he's done for us, when we see how much he loves us? And so I think there is, there's a very real legalism that is a problem and that we need to stay clear of. Um, Yeah, there are going to be times where we don't feel like obeying and What should we do? We should still obey. (laughs) But we obey because we know how much he loves us. And we know that even if we mess up, he's waiting there to receive us back again. So we'll end with that. Um, Any last thoughts? Things that we haven't touched on yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could be you could be really strict about avoiding pork in every form for health reasons and no one blinks an eye. As soon as you say, Oh, cause God said to Whoa, you're legalistic. Which doesn't really make sense, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think I think what uh, I think what you say is is very true.
we people respect discipline outside of religious contexts. Uh, but in religious contexts, discipline suddenly becomes, yeah, something we need to avoid for some reason. And maybe yeah, there have been legitimate abuses of discipline in the name of religion in the history of Christianity, right? You look at some of the monasticism um, and similar ascetic movements where there's this idea that you have to like you've got to mortify the flesh you've got to you've got to beat yourself you've got to afflict pain and suffering on yourself and deny yourself pleasure um yeah yeah they they would literally whip themselves until make the blood flow um so yeah, there are legitimate abuses of discipline out there. Uh, and, and discipline in and of itself does not make us holier. But like you said, Chris, it's, it's freedom. A, a discipline equals freedom in, when it's a healthy discipline. And, you know, we're, we're... Schoolyards have a fence around them so that the kids are free to <laughs> be within that fence, Right? Torah is our fence. We're, we're free within it to enjoy God and his creation. Um, and it, it gives us that freedom. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. The con- it's the constraint within the pot that makes it useful. The, 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 sorry, the, it's the space within the pot that makes it useful. Yeah, so... I guess just to wrap up, I I think definitely our view of who God is, as we've said, and as others have said here, it's really affected by our own earthly father. And that can be for good or for bad. Um, And so, and what we think of God affects Every aspect of our walk with him affects every aspect of following his word, of discipleship, of spirituality. And it is interesting that in Romans 8, Paul concludes his discussion of letter versus spirit and flesh versus spirit by talking about what the spirit does in us. He said, says, for all who are led by the Spirit, this is Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Walking in the spirit means walking as God's precious son or daughter. And that's so freeing, right? And empowers us to obey him when we are able to realize that truth. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that you have 
and chosen each of us to follow you. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you that through Yeshua we can have life and that you, can, you have transformed us and that you are making us into the image of Messiah. Thank you that you have sent your Spirit and that through your Spirit we can know you as Father. I pray that you would help each of us to grow in that and that you would be with, with us the rest of this afternoon. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio teaching. The goal of Segula is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement. This series of teachings on the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is made possible through the help of our ministry partners and supporters. For more information about this ministry, please visit www.segula.net. May the Father richly bless you as you seek Him, and together may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.